0: Necessary, and um, that's what we're going to speak about this morning. Uh, the title of this thought is uh, alignment, being aligned with God. Alignment, being lined up, and we'll see in this parable how how we can do that. And so it's kind of a um, Thanksgiving message because at the end of this story, we know that. Um, Good things happen. So let's let's start at the eleventh verse. And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me." The younger son, and he divided unto him his living. Now in this day, according to the law and custom of the Jews, uh, the son that received the birthright and the promise of his father, um, and then the blessing received a double portion of all of his father's estate. That was the law. So normally it passed to the elder son. If there was not an elder son, then it would be his brother. If it was not his brother, then it would be his sister. If it was not his sister, it would be family of some sort. At this time, the older son was still living. And so to the older son, always was given a double portion of his father's estate. To the younger son, was given that portion that remained. And the younger son wanted his father to give him his inheritance while the father still lived. And evidently, according to Jesus, that's exactly what happened. The younger son was given that portion that was assigned to him uh, upon the death of the father. But the father said, well, if you want it now, then you can have it now. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The parable of this story is the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wastrel or one who wastes. And the younger son therefore is the prodigal because all that he was given, he wasted with riotous living. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we continue. Thank you for the portion that you've sent to us this morning. That's why we come to church, is to get something from heaven. Lord, we don't stand here worthy uh, even to declare your word, and so we pray that the Holy Spirit would take control and be the speaker this morning. Let us just uh, deliver what we can, and, Father, you speak to each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing in honor to the word of God. Okay. So we'll read on a little bit further, and um, there's many stories in the parable of the prodigal, right? There's the, the story about the younger son, there's the story about his older brother. And I told people, I think there's even a story about his mother here. Um, this was a family, and, of course, his father. But we're speaking this morning about the younger son, maybe a little bit about the older and the father. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and the younger son began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and that citizen sent him into his fields to feed swine because he didn't have any other way to earn a living. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine ate, and no man gave unto him. And when the younger son came to himself, or he realized, you know, I've made a terrible mistake. I have um, squandered, I've wasted the blessing that my father has given to me. He came to himself and he said, "'How many hired servants of my father's "'have bread enough and and to spare, "'and I perish with hunger? "'I will arise and go to my father, I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And he arose and he came to his father. And we're going to speak more about all of this because it all has so much meaning and so many stories in this that no matter who we are this morning, there's a story for us in here. He was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in thy sight, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and eat and let us be merry. For this my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. And they began to be merry. Now, we're not going to um, read the rest of this. It speaks to the elder son. But um, but what a story. <clears throat> this parable, if you go back to the beginning of the 15th chapter and into the 14th chapter, Jesus is speaking to one of three audiences. He's speaking to the Pharisees, which were religious hypocrites in this, in this audience. He's speaking to sinners and publicans, which are ordinary folks that, didn't profess to know God, and he was speaking to his disciples because they were listening to this parable also. So all of us this morning can find ourselves in one of these three audiences. Doesn't matter, the Lord knows which one we're in, but Jesus, that's why this is a universal story. It speaks to every heart. Um, whether we have a profession of faith, but we're not really being honest about it, or whether we're just a sinner that doesn't know God, or whether we are calling ourselves a disciple of Christ, but somewhere we need this story. In any of these three audiences, we can find something. And the reason we call this alignment, or being aligned with God, is we find in this story, in these two brothers, and we're speaking of the younger, and the father, we're speaking about differences in spiritual alignment. The younger here, probably when he was a young boy, was no doubt aligned with his father because he understood his father's law, he understood his father's commandments, he understood his father's rule in the house, but as he grew older, he no longer wanted to serve his father. He no longer essentially wanted to be part of the family. He wanted to take his inheritance and leave the family. And the moment that he took his inheritance and left the family, he lost his alignment with God. The father continued the same. He didn't change. Um, The elder son also has a story, and you might find the elder son a bit in the message to the Pharisees. But this message that we're reading about to the younger son is more about to the publican and the sinner. And And the younger son lost his alignment with God because the father is a type of God and the younger son is the type of of a sinner. And the younger son lost his alignment with God and he finds himself in this pit, right? And the father staying at home, he never loses his identity, his identity is constant. And so this is where we can start to find ourselves at times in our own lives Are we lined up with God? And that's what we'd like to go away with this morning is each of us will ask ourselves a question. Am I lined up with God in all of my life? And if at moments in my life I find myself not aligned with God, there's a remedy. It doesn't mean that we have to throw away everything that we've held dear and say, you know what, I'm not worthy or I can't do this or... um, you know, evidently, I don't have the power to live the way they should, so I'll just leave. We don't have to do that. That's the way his, this younger son sort of handled things. He, he, he took his father's blessing, he took his inheritance, and he, he squandered it. Now, the younger son could have said to himself in the pit, evidently, I can't do this. I might as well just end my life. That is an option that he had. But he didn't do it. So none of us, that is, that is not, of course it's an option for every human. It's an option. It shouldn't be. We have no right to take our life, but it's always an option. That's one of the things that makes serving God so important. It is the remedy for so many things that could destroy us. You said, brother, you shouldn't say things like that. It's happening to young people, it's happening to older people in the very world that we live in today. People are destroying themselves because they wake up in this pit and they find that they have no hope and they decide there is no other remedy than to end everything. It's happening today. And one of the good news one of the Gospels that is available for every human being today, it does not have to end like that, there is another remedy. And that's the story of the prodigal son. But we want to to look at this prodigal, this parable right now, with this idea in mind that it's talking to us about alignments in life. And how are we lined up? I thought about it. I have a, an automobile which um, gets me from here to there but right now uh, something's not lined up quite right and there's a little shimmy as I go down the road and I can feel it and I know, I don't think it's the tires because they're relatively new, it's probably the alignment and there's a little shimmy in it and I can feel it and it bothers me. And I'm just—I've been too busy with other things to take it to the car place to get to get it aligned and have it looked at. But I need to do that, and I'll tell you why. Um, if 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 you have an alignment which is off by by too much, it can actually damage components in your car. Right? It can damage steering. It can damage suspension. It can damage other components because that shaking that's going on is not intended to be there. The car isn't, the car, somebody told me once, I was calling Intel, this is years ago when computers were brand new, and I was trying to figure out, can I overclock my chip? Some of you don't know what that means. Can I make my computer run faster? And the guy at Intel said, well, no, not your chip we build a certain amount of smoke into it, but not that much. And what he meant was if you, if you tweak that thing more than you're supposed to, it's gonna burn up. We, we allow you a certain amount of, of, of that, but you can't override the rest, otherwise you'll burn it up. Well, the same is true with the car. It, has, it, it can handle a certain amount of wiggle, but you put too much in it and things are gonna get hurt. Why? Because it's not aligned properly. It's not aligned properly. Things are built or engineered a certain way for a purpose. They work better when things are lined up the way they're supposed to be. And life is the same way. I thought about this. We're kind of like this car where from time to time there's a little shimmy in us, right? And, 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 And I'm not talking about sin. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. The, 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 we, we go through life and sometimes we find a little shimmy. And, 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 and it's the Lord's faithfulness that lets us know that that little shimmy is there. You know. And he says, careful, there's a little shimmy in your life. I need you to line this up. You need to be aligned with me because everything will go better if you're lined up with me. And that's the point. And when we think about alignment in a, in a spiritual sense here, I'd like you also to think about what does the father value and what is he concerned about? And what does the son value and what is he concerned about? Because if we are lined up with God the way we should be, our values will line up with God's values. And what we're concerned about is what he will be concerned about. We shouldn't worry too much about what he doesn't worry too much about. We shouldn't value what he doesn't value. What we value and what we're concerned about will determine how we behave and what we believe. So we can break this down and look at this story, and we'll do this now. We can look at this story. It'll tell us things about what the son values, about what the father values. It'll tell us things about what the father is concerned about and what the son is concerned about. It'll tell us some things about the price that the son is willing to pay for what he values. It will tell us things about his behavior and what the son believes. And at the end of the story, All of this will come back into alignment. You follow me? In the beginning of the story, there's a break in the alignment, so severe that the son leaves the house and squanders all the blessing of his father, so severe. But the the miracle of the story is it doesn't end that way, does it? The son finds that he's made a mess of things. His tie rod ends have fallen off the car He can no longer steer it. It's out of control. It's found himself in a pit. He's crashed, he's made a mess of his life. Some people would say, this younger son is a train wreck. He's an emotional wreck. He's a spiritual wreck. He's crashed. It's not gonna get better for him. But the miracle of God is that God still cares enough about his soul that when the son comes back, He forgives his son. Amen. 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 But we want to think about a little bit about what does the father fear or what, I, I use that word fear, what is the father concerned about? What does he value? What does the son value? And we can see, we can use this in our own lives, yeah? When you make a decision about something, and it starts to create a little shimmy in your, in your spirit. Ask yourself, what am I learning from this? What do I value? What do I value more than anything else? That'll tell us some things about ourself and help us get back into alignment with God, amen. That's our goal this morning, okay. So what does the Father value? What does God value? We know this by reading the scripture. God values a sinless existence. God values an existence without sin. How do you know that? Because there is no sin in God. So I know that this is a value or or, or something strong in, in the nature of God that he values there's no sin. Okay. I know that... God values making order out of chaos. We're going to talk about that. God doesn't value chaos. He values order. If he valued chaos, he would leave things chaotic. But where God is, there is order. God values life over death. God values, and all this is scriptural. You can find scripture for it. We're not going to go there, but all of this. God values clear thinking. Can you see that insofar as what the prodigal is teaching us here? God values clear thinking. Just that alone. So what does that tell us? Well, then the Lord values a clear head. He values the ability for us to make decisions in order to to understand God. So I should do nothing to muddle my thinking. Amen? God values mercy, mercy, He values justice. He values fairness. These are things that God values. God values holiness. Amen? We know that. We can find this in the the scripture. These are all the things that God values. So in this household, where his two sons and his wife and his servants, they were making a home, all these values were present from the Father in this household. We know this because the Father is a type of God. And so we know this is what is present in this household and what he values. In a minute, we're going to talk about one thing that the Father is concerned about. Okay. So keep in mind, the whole point of this lesson this morning is I need to line up with what the Father values. My values need to be in alignment. I need to care about Holiness. I need to care about a sinless existence. Amen. I need to care about order out of chaos. I need to care about clear thinking and fairness and justice and mercy. I need to care about that to be lined up with God. And if some of those things are out of alignment, we're going to feel it in our life. The way we behave and what we start to believe will be a function of what we value. Mark it down, okay? The son here takes his inheritance and he goes to a journey to a far country. Why? Because in the near country uh, where the father lives, the son is not going to be found near where the father is. Because... What the father stands for, he knows, this son knows when he's doing this, that he's acting in direct disobedience to what the father stands for. There's a bit of shame going on here and a bit of guilt. And so he goes as far away from the father as he can get. And look, when God is so good to us, if we take our inheritance and we walk out of here, We don't want to be found close to where the Father's house is. And I'm not just speaking about this building, I'm speaking about the the, the spiritual place that God is. And that's why God says, you, you can't predict what will happen to you if you go out into a life of sin after God has been so good to us. He goes far away and he wastes his substance with riotous living. Now, the other thing is he finds friends that he calls friends. You don't waste your substance in riotous living by yourself. It's called partying. He's not partying all by himself. Riotous living is involving other people. And I can imagine this son, with all his inheritance, he's buying his friends. And he calls them friends because they hang out with him as long as he has money. But as soon as he's spent all his money, his friends are gone. They're fair-weather friends. They show up. It's his entourage, his posse. They show up as long as he's got money to pay for their riotous living, but when his money is gone, they're gone too. He had to buy his friends. And one of the things that impressed me that, 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 that as you go down into this story that is such a blessing, um, we should all teach our children, we should all remember to each other, you don't have to buy friendship from anybody here. This is a good group of friends and many that we know that are not here, but we don't have to, a Christian does not have to buy friendship from anybody. It's an honest life. And if we're growing up and we're at school, and maybe you can remember this, but this is just sometimes how young people are. Um, you feel like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not part of the in crowd, and I, I, I really wanna be popular, and. I, I'm so lonely, so, so, so feeling like I'm just not part of the in crowd. And, and, and young people especially will do things to sort of purchase friendship, you know? Invite them to different things or, you know, hang out with them or make it known that they appreciate the other, whatever it is. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to purchase our friendship in order to be popular. And I'm sure that's how this, this young man felt. He, he felt like, you know what? These people are my friends. They're partying with me. And, but as soon as his money was gone, they were gone. <clears throat> but thank the Lord there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. And you don't have to buy his friendship. He'll always be there. So the things that the father valued, those are things that the father valued. When the son took his living and went out and spent it all in riotous living, we can tell from how he conducted himself what he valued, the son. That's how we know how far out of alignment he was with the father. The son valued more than anything. At this moment, he valued more than anything else himself. He took, he took the riotous, he took the father's inheritance and spent it all on himself. He valued having a good time. He valued partying. I mean, people need to be honest, you know. Don't throw stones at God or those who witness God. Don't throw stones there when what we really want is to have a good time. We need to be honest about what we value. That will be the indicator of our own behavior and what we believe is what we value. We don't do what we do because somehow we've been pushed out or rejected or ejected. We do what we do because we want to do it at the end of the day. So many times. He valued buying friendship. Otherwise, he wouldn't have bought their friendship. He didn't need it, but he went out and bought it. He valued following his own convictions, not his father's convictions. He valued riches, but he didn't want to work for it. He wanted his father to give him his inheritance. He didn't go out with the skills he had learned at his father's house and earn his living. He went out and wasted his living using what his father had given him. That's what he valued. He didn't value working for his living. We know A little bit about ourselves about what we value amen so we can see that the son is totally out of alignment with his father right because everything we said that the father values from this you can see the son at this point does not value and so their behavior diverges and what they believe diverges each of us can find ourselves either in alignment with God or out of alignment with God for a certain reason. What do, you think the, what do you think concerned the father more than anything else? If you look at this. Look at verse 20. Do you think that this was the first and only time that the father was on his front porch looking for his son to come back? that he just happened to see him one day? Or is it possible that that father was out at times during the day, every day, since his son was gone, looking for his son? His father, his son, beg your pardon, the father's concern more than anything else was the return of his son. Let me ask you this. Was the father concerned about the foolishness of the world? Another word for concern is fear. And we won't use that word in relation to God because it it might not be helpful to say that God fears anything, but God is concerned. God is concerned about our welfare and our well-being and whether or not we're lined up with him. But if you start asking yourselves about what else does God fear sort of concern kind of like thing, we we start asking ourselves, things that we fear, does God fear? Or things that people say we should fear, does God fear? That's a good question. The foolishness of the world, the vanity of the world. God doesn't fear the vanity of the world. Why? Because he is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. God has power over everything. He created all that is. God doesn't fear this stuff. God doesn't fear the vanity of the world. He doesn't fear uh, the foolishness of the world. He doesn't like it. He doesn't agree with it. He wishes that we wouldn't partake of it, but he's not afraid of it. Think of it. God is not afraid of the vanity. So you know what? As a Christian, I can tell myself, I don't want the vanity of the world. But follow me now, I don't have to fear it. Why? Because if I'm in alignment with God, I value what he values. I am concerned about what he is concerned about. I'm in alignment with God. If God has power over the foolishness of the world, I don't need to fear the foolishness of the world. I don't have to want to like it. I don't wanna be part of it. I don't have to imbibe it, but I don't need to fear it. What should that tell us about our behavior now? That tells us, as he told the disciples, I can go out into the world and the foolishness of the world because the Lord is supposed to give us power over it. We don't tell ourselves, I'm afraid of the world. I'm I'm afraid that somehow it will contaminate me, that it will somehow alter the way I think. Not if you know the rock you're standing on. Not if you know why you believe what you believe. We are called to go out into it just as God goes out into it because he has power over it. This is all about being lined up with what God is lined up with. See? Being concerned about what he is concerned. If he is concerned about the return of this son who has gone out into sin, we should be concerned about the son or the daughter who has gone out into sin about the neighbor who was in sin. We should be concerned about that because he is concerned about it. We should be on the front porch. We should be, and and when he saw his son a long way off, he just sort of ambled down the road, you know, to see whether this man looked like his son because he must have been in rags and dirty and, And no, 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 no. He was looking for him. He was looking for him every day. And when the son came up the road, he recognized him. And he didn't amble down to him, amble down with sort of, you know, reluctance and reticence and and holding back. He ran to his son. I'm not even sure if he knew that his son was repentant. This parable is the third of three parables that Jesus is teaching these audiences about repentance, about mercy, and about the kingdom of God. It's the third of three parables, and those three topics are big in these parables. Repentance, mercy, and adding to the kingdom of God. And so the father is illustrating these ideas in these parables. And when he runs to his son, he doesn't yet know if the son is repentant. He doesn't yet know. He so saw him a long way off. And we're going to say why he doesn't yet know. But you see, this is the concern that the father has. It should be our concern also, it should dictate the way we behave and what we believe. The concern for a lost son, which is our neighbor, it should dictate the what we believe and how we behave. It should move us out of our houses. It should move us off the front porch of our house. It should give us a, 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 an urgency because what the Father is concerned about, we should be concerned about. Come on. All right. He didn't, the father doesn't fear a lot of, (laughs) the father doesn't fear a loss of health. The father. The father doesn't fear a loss of wealth. The father doesn't fear the inability to earn income. Why? Because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The father. He doesn't fear all these things. And I understand as humans, we have a natural fear of some of this. That's that's okay, but we need to remember the Father doesn't fear these things. And so if I'm lined up with the Father, ultimately I don't have to fear these things either. Not that I'm not affected by them, but remember the Father doesn't fear them. We don't have to fear some things because the Father doesn't fear them, okay. When we lose our agreement or our alignment with God, we cease to value what God values. It's a check for us. Okay. Now there's also a story in here about setting priorities for what we value. You know this because of how the father behaved at the end of the story. Let me ask you a question about this. The father values justice, doesn't he? Why? Because justice ultimately never changes. He values fairness for the same reason, right? It says, the Bible says God loves a just balance, right? Or a fair balance. He values, um, he values um, all kinds of important things. He values obedience, doesn't he, the father? He values holiness. He values repentance, the Father does. We know that because of what the story tells us. Now, at this point, <clears throat> I said to this audience recently, I was reminded of when you go to the eye doctor um, and you sit in the chair and he puts those two little lenses, right? And he says, which is clearer, number one or number two? Right, and you go number one. And then he goes, number, number three or number one? That kind of thing. And then you get stuck and you say, I don't know, go back. I'm not sure what that one was clearer than that one. You know, and he's trying to figure out if you have astigmatism or one eye is weaker than the other, all right? And so the eye doctor is trying to ask you, what's your priority? One or two? Two or three? What, what, what's better for you, right? What's, what's your priority? God does the same thing depending on the circumstance. He has priorities. God's priorities need to be our priorities, number one or number two. Now, with this parable, this this prodigal son, it doesn't mean that God doesn't value obedience. It doesn't mean he doesn't value justice. It doesn't mean he doesn't value fairness. It doesn't mean he doesn't value all these things, holiness. But there's one that God values in priority in this story more than the others. I wonder if you know which one it is. This is not a trick question. Which of those values that, that I've previously mentioned does God value more than any other in this story? What do you think? I think I heard mercy. Some of you heard the lesson, so you know what I was going to say. <clears throat> God values mercy or forgiveness in this story more than justice. You see that? Why? Because if he valued justice in this story, I'm gonna explain to you there are other stories where he doesn't. But in this story he values mercy more than justice because if he valued justice more than mercy the son is guilty and he doesn't get forgiven. Why? Because the son is guilty of what he's guilty of. And justice is is impartial, right? There's no no mercy in justice. So if the father valued justice, or another word for justice sometimes is judgment. If he valued judgment more than mercy, the son doesn't get forgiven because he's guilty. But because he values mercy, Because mercy is the only way this son can be forgiven, isn't it? There's nothing the son could do to redeem himself from the mess he got himself into. He doesn't have any money. He's in rags. He doesn't have the ability to earn anything. He's out of luck. The only way he can be recovered is through mercy. Justice would have condemned him. Now, there are times when we need to be the same way, right? There are times when justice, mercy, needs to be higher in priority than justice. Mercy and forgiveness need to occupy a higher place sometimes than just or fairness. You say, brother, that's not fair. Doesn't matter. Mercy. Mercy is over fairness. Sometimes. So we need to get it right. It's not just enough to know the scripture. We need to to know God's set of priorities. Because how's the song go? If, if, If justice were the issue, then we are all lost. But it's the mercy of God that saves us. Now there's another time when mercy will not save us. And that's at the final judgment. Mercy has already been extended. Mercy can only be involved when there's an opportunity to overturn justice. And at the final judgment, there will be no opportunity to overturn justice. Justice will reign supreme in that final judgment. There will be no mercy. Mercy has already been extended. Mercy has already operated. We're living in the day of mercy. Somebody said, brother, isn't it true that at times justice or fairness or or those things, they need need to take priority. And now we come to this. Let me show you this. The father runs down the road because he sees his son. And he doesn't know yet the motive of his son, right? He meets his son. And I, I, I also wonder, would he, give, would he have given him a big hug anyway, regardless of his attitude, right? Okay, but there's something that's gonna happen here that I don't think the father could change. If the son said, Dad, um, I've spent everything that you gave me Can I have a loan? Because I need more. And I've got a place, but the rent's due, and um, I don't have a way to make it, so I promise I'll pay it back if you just give me a loan. The Father's answer would have been no. I gave you everything that you were entitled to I don't have any more to give you. The answer has to be no. There was going to be no negotiation between the father and the son on the road. Dad, can I come home if, uh, you know, let's say I want to party one day a week, but the rest, and guess what? I won't bring my partying back to the house. Just, just let me stay there. I need a place to stay. Is it okay? Well, are you, are, are, are you gonna change? Are you determined? Well, no, no, but I just need a place to stay. Is that okay? This was not a place of negotiation. There is a time when justice has to reign above mercy. And in this case, the only thing that allows mercy to operate is repentance. Repentance, justice brings us to repentance. And once we see ourselves as he saw himself in the pit, justice brings us to repentance. Once we see ourselves, now mercy can save us. Mercy operates to bring a changed heart, a change of attitude into the Father's kingdom. That's how mercy operates. That's its intention. Mercy is not intended. I heard this recently, and I think this is true. You know, today people, some folks, not all, some folks want a handout, but they don't want to change how it got them into that situation. They simply want you to give them something. They don't want to change. I had somebody call the office recently, and I and I hope we're still going to be able to work together. I really do. And they said, you know, can can you give me something for this or that? And I had just given them something for this or that the Sunday prior. And I said, Well, you know, I I I don't think I'm going to have anything for this or that. But if I can help you get out of this pickle by sitting down with you and trying to work out a plan where we can figure out how you can kind of get out of this mess, I would like to help you do that. I'm still waiting for that phone call. See, sometimes people... They just, want, they just want whatever they need to continue the way they're living. And this isn't contrary to the will of God. This is not what some people call tough love. This, look, justice is meant to bring us to repentance. A change of heart. I don't wanna keep going. You know what, it's too many people today are not being honest. They're waking up in the pit and they're not seeing it's a pit saying, look it, I'd rather just stay in the pit. Give me something so I can stay in the pit. No, there's no negotiation going on here. I will have, God says, I will have mercy on you, but you have to want to change. That's the way this works. And then I will forgive you. And it's not, in that sense, conditional. It is unconditional, but it has to be set in motion by our desire to change. So there's an order of what God values. It's only, this mercy is only effective when the son repents and ceases to become the prodigal because he says, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. This verses 19 and 20, 18, 19, and 20, that's the definition of repentance right there. There's no negotiation going on. The last thing is that what we value we will pay a lot for. If you don't value something, you're not going to pay a lot for it. Don't you have things at home that you didn't pay a lot for? And if they break or they wear out, I mean, are you real worried about throwing it away? No, because you didn't pay a lot for it, right? What, what do you have at your house that you paid the most for? Think about it. It might be in your driveway, or you might be living in it, whatever. You value that. You highly value it because you paid a lot for it. When we pay everything that we have to be a follower of Christ, that will be the most important thing in our life. We'll value it over everything else because it costs us everything. But if we don't pay a lot for what God values, it's not going to mean that much to us. Now, here's something else. Some people are paying a high price for things that God doesn't value. I know situations where... uh, Leaders of churches are paying a high price for things that they value, teaching. And it's causing division. God does not value division. There are six things that God hates. And the seventh is an abomination to God, and that's something that divides good brethren. God does not value division. We will know what we value by our behavior and what we believe. And if it's not what God values, we need to take a hard look and see if we should value it as highly as we do. And be very careful about the price you're paying for what we value, because what you pay a lot for, you're not going to want to get rid of. But if the Lord wants us to get rid of something, we need to let it go. Amen? So we need to make sure that we're paying a high price for what God values in that moment. Okay. what we're concerned about, what we fear. We pay high prices for those things. We're concerned about our health, right? Most of us are willing to pay a high price for our health. If it comes down to it, we'll pay everything we have to stay alive. That's a high price, and that's fair. We're wired that way. But what about other things? What about things that have to do with our relationships with people, right? or things that we believe and we pay a high price for that. But has God paid that price? Is is that part of the price God has paid for that? What God values? Are we lined up with what God? I tell you what, when you're in a car and you can feel it, (laughs) I don't know about you, I've had vehicles where, you know, the wheel is bent or whatever and the car's going like this And I'm thinking if this, I can't drive very fast, something's gonna fall off. I'm in danger, I'm in danger to go down the road and the car's going like this. I think I drove 120 miles one time to straighten a bent wheel. I had to go to a place that only this shop in another town could straighten the wheel. I mean, I wasn't gonna drive that car anymore with the wheel going like this. And they fixed it a little bit, and I still didn't like it. So in the end, I got rid of the wheel and I paid a lot of money for another wheel that wasn't bent. And I felt better about that. Everything was lined up. I was going down the road the way I'm supposed to go down the road. I can worry about other things. I don't have to worry about my alignment at that point at that time, right? How 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 are we doing? Are we lined up? Are we lined up with God? If we're not aligned with what God values, the next step is to repent. And he'll have mercy. Amen. Once he knew his son was repentant, mercy flowed. Forgiveness flowed. He brought him back. He said, look, you've wasted your substance in partying in the world. Come back, we'll have a party at my house. And you don't have to pay anything for my friends. My friends will be there, and they're free. They're just waiting to be your friends. They're not going to ask you to be bought or to buy them. Oh, there's so many advantages to being lined up with God. Thank you for your help this morning. Lord, help us. Oh, hey, look. Sometimes the preacher goes through the week, and he feels a little shimmy. and he has to do business with God and figure out, am I lined up with you, Lord? And, and the beautiful thing is, we are harder on ourselves than God is on us sometimes. And we feel condemned and we say, why did I do that? And, 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 and how awful is that? And the whole time God is standing there in the road Yeah, yeah, and he he, he just wants to know, are you repentant? And then he receives us and forgives us and brings us back into the kingdom or, or, or places us in our place in the kingdom. Let's stand, let the Lord have his way.